The Rebrand Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. Welcome to the Rebrand Podcast, and I Hear Everything production. This podcast tells the stories of world-changing marketing campaigns as told by the people who build them. In each episode, you'll hear an earful of brilliance from a marketer who has brought an iconic brand to life. Ready to hear the secrets and untold stories behind the brand you love? Then sit back, relax, and get ready for the Rebrand Here's the host of the Rebrand Podcast, the CEO of OH Partners, Scott Harkey. Welcome to the Rebrand Podcast. All right, let's jump into this. I got Chris Rogers coming back for part two. I told you we would get into how he and his agency, OH Partners, turned a nothing game into a $45 million lottery game. So here's my conversation with Chris Rogers, Deputy Director of Marketing Products for the Arizona Lottery. Chris, welcome back, man. Number two. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for having me again. Appreciate it. Let's let's get into it. So what was our our game that we came up with out of nowhere, which we at the time thought it was a little little bit of a crazy idea, but uh, created a $45 million game that didn't even exist before. Uh, How'd you do that? Well, first, I think we have to go back to 2008 when Arizona Lottery had a game called Fast Play that they launched. And uh, it was a new style of playing. It was an instant game that was issued out on uh, draw tickets. Concept is still there with this new version of Fast Play, but the short story is that that did not, for whatever reason, that did not do so well when it was launched. I think uh, because we had upgraded vending machines, we were able to dispense the tickets a lot better. So that, so that you know, we sort of had the wind at our back in that regard. Just real quick, as for our listeners that aren't uh, familiar with lottery, how many retail locations do you have vending machines in? So yeah, we have 3,200 retail locations. I think we have around 1,900 of those locations have vending machines in them. Okay, and there's two there, there's two areas, right? You have grocery and then you have C-store, which is gas, right? So grocery, the vending machine could be by the counter. C-store could be by the counter, like, you know, Circle K or 7-Eleven. And then like at a grocery store, you, you exit out and it's kind of right, right there as you exit. Yes, and we also have at the grocery gas stores, we also have a limited line of lottery available there okay. too. Okay, so fast play, you buy on this vending machine and it gives you out a ticket and you know if you win right then and there, which is different from other products. It is, yeah. I mean, so uh, it's an instant game. It's dispensed on a draw style ticket, but the key difference there is that it is just like a scratcher. Cool. But there's nothing, you know, you don't scratch. It's more key match and that kind of thing. And so how was this game? So you're talking about the game was not successful and then all of a sudden, boom, it caught on. Like, what was the difference? Well, I think as I explained before, some some of it was the technology. Uh, I think we have vending machines that are much more flexible in how they dispense products right now. I also feel like we did very good research before launching the game. So we visited a couple different jurisdictions. We saw how they were doing it in Pennsylvania. 
we tested several game concepts to determine which would be the most successful when we, when we launch. We looked at the different price points that we would launch with as well. So, you know, we did one, two, and $5 games. We looked at uh, the balance between what is a fixed jackpot and a progressive jackpot for those games as well. And then the last thing is that we did lean into some licensed products like Cherry Twist Progressive that are, it's, those are familiar to people who game and were able to, I think, latch on. We were, we were able to sell that name along with the fast play line. But getting it into people's hands, I think in our partnership with OH, one of the most unique things that we did was really focus on retail advertising and retail education. We leveraged our street team in more than 400 retail locations to go out and show people how the game is played. I remember that was our biggest worry is we weren't sure people would know that there's this new way of playing kind of a scratcher, kind of a draw mix on a machine without anyone there. And like, we were really concerned. And I I remember you had really the foresight, hey, shopper marketing and education at retail is going to be our biggest opportunity. This isn't all just television ads kind of stuff or digital ad kind of stuff. Absolutely. It does, you know, it does seem sort of like an antiquated approach. And and also I will note this, this was pre-pandemic. So it was much easier for us to be sort of in the stores and doing that, even though that's, uh, that's becoming infinitely easier again, thank God. But having teams out there not only meant something to the people who were shopping and playing, but also to the retailers themselves. They saw us as showing up and really supporting what was a brand new product line. Because, you know, after I think 2009 or 2010, they wound up shuttering that old fast play game because the sales weren't strong enough. So they shut it down. And you know, I think there was, there was concern about how lottery might support this moving forward. And so, I mean, does that happen a lot where you're creating a new game in lottery and it, it can generate $45 million? Is that... I mean, we know the Powerball does well, of course, and, and we know some of the bigger priced $20 tickets, you know, like a mega, you know, uh, I forget what we called it, the, the millions one. Some of the big ones do well, the scratchers or even some of the licensed scratchers that we're familiar with, they're proven. But I mean, how often does this happen where kind of a, a failing game or an unproven game is, is relaunched and successful for 45 million bucks? For sure. I, yeah, I mean... Not often. I mean, a high tier tickets, yes. If you're launching a $50 game or, you know, there are some states that have launched $100 games. Wow. Did it, had those been successful? They have. I think you have to have a distribution network that is where that's really going to make sense. And in a state like Texas, for example, where they're just so vast that a ticket like a $100 game is, is successful. Other people have launched them, them as uh, LTOs, limited time only games too. Does that cannibalize other revenue? It certainly has the ability to do that. We recently launched a $50 game back in February. And yes, we did see sales of our 30 drop off and some of our $20 games uh, softened as well. But overall, it still had the uptick that was worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. Is there like a price point? Like I knew you mentioned like the one or three or $5 games for other marketers out there, other, other entrepreneurs out there. What sort of consumer insights have you had about different price points and, and whether it's C-Store or whether it's grocery store, 
Share a wallet, obviously, is talked about a lot or a lot of retail circles. They talk about grocery cart you know, size um, or cart size. What, any insights that I think could be helpful to other brand marketers that you've learned being in this job and seeing different price points and having such an eye on products of knowing what products do well and who plays the $2 or $3, now $50 price points. Like what, what's like some big insights that you've had? Well, I think the recent uptick in inflation has definitely had an impact actually on our lower tier products. Wow. Because game lines like Fastplay, as an example, are sort of considered add-ons in the mind of a lottery player. So if you are a brand marketer and you are thinking about your array of products that you might have, let's say you're a brand manager at a huge brand like Crocker & Gamble, as an example, you know, you have to think about those fringe products and, and how you can use the core product to sort of market and induce trial in some of those other brands that might be new and up and coming like Fastplay. And that's a challenge that we're facing right now. You know, when we, when we first launched the Fastplay line, we had some great promotions going on where we just got people to try the game even when we didn't have street teams in stores. So an example of that was our fast play Friday. We basically did like a happy hour because our sales throughout the week, they do grow as uh, you have more volume of sales on Friday and Saturday just towards the end of the week because habitually players are playing the draw games. So how do we cross market Powerball as an example with a fast play or Mega Millions with a fast play. So players can still get their core game, but they can they can also be exposed to something new. That's fascinating. I want to get back to something you said, because I think it's a great insight that maybe isn't talked about enough. With inflation and with gas, CPG markers, especially that are in heavy retail scenarios, may want to think about getting back to their core products at higher price points because those additive smaller price points are not making the cut on the budget, it sounds like. I'm not necessarily sure it's as much related to price point as it is just what your core offering is. Interesting. Okay, so it's like your top sellers and some of the smaller, if you have 25 games, the top half of your games focus on that and some of the bottom half of the games, which just happen to be a lower price point. So it's not price point you think driven, it's more core offering driven. I do. I think it's out of necessity that a consumer is going to have to make that choice. The other thing too is that as as we're emerging from what was the depths of the pandemic, people definitely have more entertainment choices. People are com- more comfortable with going out to eat. People are more comfortable with going to a concert. So they're thinking about discretionary income while at the same time discretionary income is is much more precious than it was a year ago at this time. Wow, that's a fascinating insight too. I didn't. Th- I, you're right. I think about because we we did pretty well, all things considered, as a retail product during the pandemic. Oh, we did phenomenal during the pandemic. We were an entertainment choice that people could still have. Yeah, uh, lottery just set records, and that was not unique to the Arizona jurisdiction. That was all across yeah. the nation. I remember during the, the pandemic too. When everybody was canceling advertising, they were coming off and you made a very bold call, like right in the middle said, no, we cannot hold media. We need to understand the tonality of the messaging, but we should 
keep going. I was like, hell yeah, that was freaking genius. You know, I, I don't mean to sound opportunistic, but what we really wanted to do was make a deeper connection with our players during the pandemic. For sure. And I felt like if we would have backed away on spending, and certainly many people did, and, and many people had to. Yes. So, uh, so I'm not calling people out that had to, but for our direction, it was definitely the right thing to do. Uh, we found a way to connect with people, even people who were who had fallen on tough times, and we we reached out and gave money away to first responders, to educators, to you know, we knew folks from the restaurant community were being laid off. So it was as simple as going to our social media followers and saying, "Hey, could you nominate somebody who's fallen on a tough time?" And, and I think that really helped us make a connection with players that we still have. And I just uh, was grateful to have that opportunity. You nailed it. And yeah, I'm such an advertising guy. So I was like, yeah, we need to stay on and sell product. But the, the tonality to your point was was perfect. And it, I think it came across and it, and it was authentic that, you know, you didn't want to abandon them at this time of a lot of you know craziness going on. Um, and it turned out to be a great business move too, in my opinion. Talk to me, and we're going all over the place, of course. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, you and I couldn't do it any other way. But we're we're past fast play. I know now. fast play. Fast play was great. Um, <laughs> uh, it was it was an amazing campaign. I mean, to, to find forty five extra million dollars in, in a game that was doing nothing again was was pretty badass. And it, and it was done old fashioned with with grassroots and education, with some promotion, of course, and and a lot of innovation. But one thing that you told me about a while ago that I think could be fascinating for marketers is around the the McKinsey loop about how gambling and players, they have a loop of playing for so many years and then they fall out of the loop and then new ones come in. But it's this it's not this old fashioned and people I'm sure marketers on this show have heard of the McKinsey loyalty or brand loop. I forget exactly what it's called. We're, we've all seen the funnels. But could you talk to me about what you've learned around the McKinsey loop and, and especially lottery players? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think one of the first questions that I had when I walked into this job is, uh, you know, if the average lottery player is aging, as you had mentioned in the prior podcast, that what does that look like? What does that... And every, it's not just lottery. Every brand has... Uh, that relationship that people have with your brand and the length of that. And then there's also the maturity factor of brands as well that plays into it. I mean, for us, we it's right around the eight-year mark. So we do have a churn, but we also have goals of how do we extend that life cycle? If that's the loop that we've got, what are the pain points that lottery players have? And certainly... Winning opportunities are one of them. And one of the ways that we love to address that is by sharing on social the stories of our winners. And winners can remain anonymous, especially large jackpot winners in the state of Arizona. And that's not unique to our state any longer. But I think OH, definitely, you guys have helped us think about that in a creative way. We don't necessarily have to talk about the winner. We could talk about the winning location. We can talk about the jackpot. We can talk about the prize. But we have campaigns going on all the time. But one thing that is a constant for us is winner awareness. That's a great point. And, and you know, it's almost like lottery different than other gambling entertainment that I've seen is where 
they play, they have this like sense of confidence. At some point they are going to win, which of course a lot of them do. Some don't, which is why that secondary gives back message is so important and, and showing that, look, we're not a for-profit you know, company here. The, this money goes to the state of Arizona. So you know, win or lose, the state kind of wins. And I do think to your point where people play eight years, I'm going to win, I'm going to win. Oh, wait, I'm, I'm done with this. How do we extend that loop? But that, that's not just to lottery. That's all industries. There's this connection with a brand for eight years. And, and then there's a divorce that happens, But which, boy, is a lot like real life uh, in some ways for friends of ours or myself who've, who've gone through that. How do you think about it extending that one or two years rather than just get new people into this loop? I think that's genius. Have you seen anything that, that can work of making that extension? Certainly creatively, whether it's the, the live shows that we've done, which I think are great. What else have you seen that, that you think potentially works to extend that eight-year relationship? Well, beyond the winner awareness for us, it's also engagement with the brand. And undoubtedly, one of the primary ways that we're able to do that is through social. How many social, like for Lauder, we've been, I know early on, we've been really aggressive and I think innovative in the social space. Like, could you give our audience some metrics to some of our social? I don't know. I don't know if I could, I could off the top of my head. Yes. Just for starters, seven years ago, we had 30,000 followers and now we were well into the 150,000 mark. But you had mentioned this on one of your other podcasts uh, recently, and that's just that it's not really about the volume of players that you have. Right now, our job is, is engaging them. It's, it's that they're at that six-year mark, possibly, and how can we make that four years instead of two years? Correct. And I think part of what we have done is create unique content and content that's entertaining in some of the most mysterious ways. I'll tell you one of the most baffling things that we did that I was very surprised about is the the guess how many scratchers are in a jar when we have these live streams. Yeah, yeah. And it's a it's a mason jar on a hot plate or on a plate spinning around yeah. with tickets in it. And it's noon in Arizona and people are tuning in on their lunch break to engage in this. And I'm not just talking like a few people, I'm talking, you know, 20,000, 25,000 people. So of course, that's just an example. The, the, other, the other part of it is how do we tell the story about the money that we give back to the community? And I think we all know video is very engaging, but doing that in a meaningful and terse way uh, that's digestible, it's not just we gave X millions of dollars to help foster kids. How did we do that? What are the lives that we've impacted? And I feel we've told some of those stories in some very meaningful ways where if you're the average player, or perhaps even if you're someone who's never played the lottery at all, or you just may never play the lottery, you still have a good understanding of the good that the brand does. I love that. Yeah. I mean, Finding ways to tell deeper, meaningful stories to consumers. That's, I think, doing our craft the real service. And that really provides more loyalty to the brand with consumers. And to your point, extending that McKinsey loop from 8 to 10 years or 8 to 12. All right, I, I'm going to wrap it up there. Uh, that was freaking awesome. Uh, Chris, thanks thanks for being on the Rebrand Podcast. Again, Chris Rogers, Deputy Director, Marketing Products for Arizona Lottery. If you'd like to contact Chris, we're going to put his LinkedIn profile in the show notes. You can also find him on Twitter 
at Chris Rogers AZ. You can also visit the Arizona Lottery, see what cool stuff we're up to. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to this podcast, head over to rebrandpod.com, where we'll have summaries of all the episodes and contact information for our awesome guests. You can subscribe to our newsletter, or if you want to talk about the most impactful marketing campaign, you can apply to be on our show, The Rebrand Podcast. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is rebrandpod on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or you can contact me directly. My handle on Twitter. Twitter is SharkyAZ. If you haven't subscribed yet and you want daily stream of marketing campaign brilliance in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit that subscribe button in the podcast app and we'll be right back in your feed the next business day. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, remember, it's never too late to rebuild, reboot, or rebrand. Rebrand.